We are not in the charity business. That was a catchphrase of a manager of mine in a former workplace. We were a commercial business, so of course he was correct in his assessment of things. But what he meant by that was, we're not going to spend a penny more than we need to, and we're going to get every penny we can from customers and clients and contractors and so on. Now, on one level, that was just good business. Nobody turns a profit by making bad deals and spending money unnecessarily. But there were some unintended consequences of that mindset. It left some colleagues feeling like commodities to be used by the company. And so, in turn, they began to get what they could out of the system. I don't know if you've worked in an organization where that has started to happen. Motivation drops. Initiative dries up. You get a kind of presenteeism where people turn up for work physically, but don't necessarily check in mentally. In that workplace, quite seriously, there was a queue by the signing-in book at clocking off time each day. Whoever was at the front of the queue waited until the clock ticked to the minute and then signed everybody's names as they piled out of the door and towards a train home. It was almost comical. It was like primary school children at the end of a school day tripping over their shoelaces as they ran out of the classroom. Every minute matters, and I'm not going to give a moment more than I have to. Now, of course, the opposite work culture can exist too. Organizations can demand an extraordinary amount of their employees, and some professions are rife with unreasonable demands and even exploitation from their workers. I've been in Bible study groups where people have left church at 9 or 9.30 at night and have gone back to the office to put in a few more hours' work routinely. I've spoken to those in the hospitality industry who are given targets to the minute of each room they clean or how many coffees they make, and they're held to account for the smallest of slippages. A long time ago now, I did some casual work in a call center, and every moment of my working day was subject to data. It's a cliche to say that things are Orwellian. That genuinely was. It was deeply unpleasant, thoroughly dehumanizing. It was designed to get the most out of me as a commodity and to prevent me from cutting any corners in my work. And I say all of that as we begin on this topic of cutting corners today, because I recognize the danger of presenting God in the Bible like that unscrupulous employer. We can imagine God sometimes with a big timesheet of how we spend each moment of the day and a big spreadsheet of how we spend each penny in our bank accounts. And with Big Brother in the sky watching us, our first thoughts can turn to guilt or inadequacy. I haven't spent as much time in prayer as I should have done. I haven't read my Bible for as long as I should. I've spent too much money at Starbucks and Pret. I've not spent enough money buying the big issue or donating to my colleague's fundraising challenge or whatever it might be for us. And work, work at the moment is hard, isn't it? We're how many months into this pandemic and our energy levels are low and things that used to be routine are just harder now. And maybe we're even out of work and struggling for motivation to look for work in this job market. And we might feel that God is watching and God is taking note 
And God is displeased with what he sees. He might want to be displeased. And then on I come to a lunchtime service and we're talking about cutting corners. And here's another opportunity to feel guilty about not working hard enough or not being effective enough in what we do. And we fear it. Well, if that is you this lunchtime, I hope that you will be encouraged rather than discouraged by what we're going to look at together. I want to do two things in the next few minutes. The first is simply to pose a question that will help us to work wholeheartedly if we're finding ourselves wearied by that prospect at the moment. And then secondly, I want to look at an example of a wholehearted worker who casts a positive vision for wisdom with these things. So firstly then, a question to help us to work wholeheartedly. Who are you working for? Who are you working for? A glance down at Proverbs 16 and verse 11. Honest scales and balances belong to the Lord. All the weights in the bag are of his making. As with so many of the Proverbs, here is one that packs lots of truths into just a few short words. It's a running theme through the Old Testament that God disproves of dishonest weights and he approves of honest weights. The picture is from the marketplace where goods were sold by balancing them on scales against metal weights. And it was a common practice for traders to have fraudulent weights, uh, lighter than they should be when they were buying and heavier than they should be when they were selling. So this proverb speaks to the fairness of God. He is just and he wants people to deal honestly with one another, each getting and receiving what they are owed in a transaction. Cutting corners by cheating is never acceptable before God. It is both lying and theft. It comes from a place of greed and it leads to exploitation. This verse speaks more widely than that, though. It is worth dwelling on it just a moment longer. You see, this commitment of God to honesty in commerce is actually a claim of God to be Lord of the marketplace. You could say Lord of the workplace. Honest scales and balances belong to the Lord. All the weights in the bag are of his making. It's more than simply saying that fairness at work is a godly behavior, although it is. It's to say that fairness at work is a God-given, God-made thing. Something we might call a blessing for the world, part of his common grace towards us. When we go to work, we are on God's territory as much as when we gather in a church building. It's a gift from him to be used in the way he intended. It's for our good and the good of others, as well as for his glory. And we can forget that all too easily and find ourselves working for ourselves, for our own gains and our own reputation. So this verse prompts us to ask, who are you working for? I find it interesting that the next few verses that follow on from this one speak of a king and of his servants. Here's a good king who rules rightly and justly and, well, his servants who might enjoy his blessing. Verse 12 onwards, kings detest wrongdoing, 
For a throne is established through righteousness. Kings take pleasure in honest lips. They value the one who speaks what is right. A king's wrath is a messenger of death, but the wise will appease it. When a king's face brightens, it means life. His favor is like a rain cloud in spring. History is littered with the battlefields of kings who did not live like this. But when the Bible speaks of a king, It always does so in anticipation of a perfect king who brings righteousness to bear on the earth through his good reign and rule. Here is a picture of working well and wisely in a way that pleases the king. And that is what the Christian life is all about. Not earning favor with God through our labors, but pleasing him through the good work that we do in his name, according to his wisdom for the world. The Proverbs are consistent in warning us that to cut corners in order to gain an advantage will have the effect of disadvantaging others. That is not just unfair, it is unjust. It's exploitative. And so consider Proverbs 3.27 onwards. Do not withhold good from those to whom it is due. When it is in your power to act, do not say to your neighbor, come back tomorrow and I'll give it to you when you already have it with you. Do not plot harm against your neighbor who lives trustfully near you. Or or Proverbs 22, verse 16. One who oppresses the poor to increase his wealth and one who gives gifts to the rich, both come to poverty. You see, in God's economy, the worldly means of gaining an advantage by exploiting the poor and by buttering up the rich They both betray a lack of integrity. The Lord calls us instead to value godly character and to work with and for that. It's through godly work in godly character that he brings blessing. Which is why Proverbs 16 16 is such an important verse, uh, one that we do well to commit to memory. How much better to get wisdom than gold, to get insight rather than silver? We can cut corners to try to gain an advantage. And maybe we'll see some material benefit, at least in the short term. But there is something much more valuable still. The pleasure of the king and life lived for him. Godly wisdom and insight put into practice in the world for his sake. That is true value and true riches. An inheritance that will last and never fade or spoil. So who are you working for? As you go to work, are you working for this king, the king of heaven who establishes what is good and calls us to work according to it for his pleasure? Big questions for us, and I hope practical ones as we seek to live God-honoring lives at work and elsewhere. But before I close this time together, this lunchtime, I want to pose a positive picture for what this might look like in practice. Because as we look at wisdom here in this book of Proverbs, there's always that danger that we come away with a list of do's and don'ts, as if wisdom is about following rules in a certain set of situations in life. That would be a shame, because the truth is far more beautiful than that. Wisdom, more than rules, is about character. It's about learning more of the heart of God. And so by the work of his Holy Spirit in us, growing a heart like his 
ourselves. So I don't want to end by listing rules to follow and obey. Instead, I want to end with an illustration of what godly living looks like, and in particular, what a life of integrity and diligence and humility and generosity looks like. And I haven't had to work very hard. This book of Proverbs gives us just such an illustration. So if you've got a Bible with you, uh, turn just for a moment to the very end of this book, to Proverbs chapter 31. There we meet someone who is often referred to as the wife of noble character. But I want to see beyond that cliched and somewhat limited presentation of who she is and what she does. This climax to the book of Proverbs isn't given to us primarily as a dating manual for men who need help in discerning an appropriate object to their affections. We'll miss most of what the wisdom contained within it has to say to us if we treat it like a sort of spiritual Tinder profile. The wife here could just as easily be translated as woman. It is in many other places in the Old Testament. And as we see in these verses, she's also an entrepreneur. She's an investor. She's a designer. She's a seamstress. She's a horticulturist. And in all of these things, she is a theologian who has applied her God-given wisdom to her various fields of work. She is, chapter 31, verse 30, a woman who fears the Lord. And as one who fears the Lord, she listens to his voice and she applies his wisdom to each area of life, including her work. So, for instance, we see that she works hard. At verse 15, uh, she gets up while it is still night. She provides food for her family and portions for her female servants. Or verse 17, she sets about her work vigorously. Her arms are strong for her tasks. Or verse 27, she watches over the affairs of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. This is a woman who works hard. She gets up early in the morning before the sun has risen. She sets about the day's tasks. She manages a busy household as well as running a successful textiles business. And she also has a number of hungry mouths to feed which she manages to do as well. So where we might be tempted to cut corners by slacking off and taking things easy, here's an example of godly hard work. She works hard not just because someone is looking, but for the sake of the dignity of work itself. It's what she's called to do, so she does it. And so that famous verse from Colossians 3.23 comes to mind. The Apostle Paul writes, Whatever you do, Work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord, it is the Lord Christ you are serving. She works hard. She works diligently too. Now look at some of the verbs that are used. Of verse 13, she selects wool and flax. Verse 16, she considers a field and buys it. Verse 18, she sees that her trading is profitable. This is a woman who is on top of her brief. She's careful in what she does, thinking and evaluating before she makes decisions about her investments. She's not slapdash or careless in her work. You wouldn't hear her saying, oh, that'll do when a job was still half done. She wants to get things right and she'll put in the hard yards to make it so. That means planning ahead, reviewing progress, measuring success, seeking improvement, pursuing growth. She doesn't want to coast with her responsibilities. She wants to thrive with them, to grow in them. But 
Before we think any of this is motivated by greed, one final observation from her. She works generously. That's true within her household and extended family. She works to put food on the table. Verse 15, again, she gets up while it's still night. She provides food for her family and portions for her female servants. But it's also true outside her household, in the wider community. At verse 20, she opens her arms to the poor and extends her hands to the needy. Here is a godly character at work, not just trying to avoid exploiting others, but actively seeking to be generous towards them. Not working hard purely for personal profit, but instead using the gifts and potential she has for the good of others and the glory of God. She does it, verse 30, because she fears the Lord. But as she does, she earns herself and him a good reputation. So in verse 31, this book of Proverbs ends with a commendation for godly living that doesn't cut corners. Honour her for all that her hands have done and let her works bring her praise at the city gate. So if you're tempted to cut corners, here is some wisdom at work. Hard work, diligence, generosity, but not for personal profit, rather the good of others and the glory of God. And with that in mind, let me pray for God's help in our lives, that his good name might be known through them. Let me pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your goodness and righteousness and justice. Thank you that you are a good king. And thank you that all fairness and justice is from you. We pray that we would work in the light of that, work fairly and justly ourselves. Give us help by your spirit in order to do that. But Father too, we pray that we may live lives that please you. And as we do so, not just that our good name would be honoured. No, Father, far more so. We pray that your good name would be honoured through us. So be at work by your spirit to change us and move us and stir us into this way of work. We pray today, the week, the month ahead. And we ask in the name and for the sake of the Lord Jesus. Amen.